So I was just in Montreal before Passover to attend a family funeral. It was at the Eternal Gardens Cemetery in Beaconsfield. And while I was there, I took the opportunity to pay a visit to my late father's grave. I hadn't been there for a year, and the grounds were still covered mostly with snow, but I decided to go because I live far away, near Toronto, and Yisker was coming up, one of the days in the Jewish calendar to remember the dearly departed. And it was good to see that his tombstone is in good shape after the winter, although the footstone was still covered, with his favorite saying on it about dancing in the rain. I left some personal mementos I'd brought with me, four of his little glass turtles from his collection of figurines. Now, being able to visit my late dad's grave like that's been really important for me. But if you don't know where a loved one is buried, never mind in what city, but what cemetery, it might be daunting to find out. And that's where researcher Gary Perlman comes in. Over the years, the Montreal man has volunteered to carefully document close to 80,000 graves in the city's Jewish cemeteries on behalf of the Jewish Genealogical Society of Montreal. Gravestone by gravestone, Perlman carefully cleans off the bird droppings and the mold. He brushes away the dirt, and then he photographs the site. He says cloudy days are the best. And he makes sure you can clearly see the tombstone's lettering, even if the stone dates back hundreds of years. Then comes the next part. Spending hours carefully checking spelling and dates and even Hebrew inscriptions to find the person's correct story. And later, he uploads all of it to an international online registry of Jewish burials, and he compiles extensive information about the person's ancestry, which also gets uploaded to the Jewish Genealogical Society of Montreal's special database, which he runs. What we're trying to do is provide information for people to learn about their families. And so we're doing burials, and burial records are great, uh, but having the stones, you add information that's really only available on uh, on the stones and in particular on Jewish gravestones. I'm Ellen Besner and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, April the 11th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Gary Perlman is hoping to get back to his cemetery documenting very soon, as soon as the grounds are a bit drier, maybe even by next week. His current project is on the top of Mount Royal with the cemeteries of the Shar Shemayim and the Spanish and Portuguese cemeteries. His sacred work actually collects and preserves the nearly 250-year-old story of Canada's Jewish community. Some tragic stories bring Perlman to tears, while he finds it fascinating to see the objects people leave at grave sites, including baseballs, hockey pucks, and even beer cans. I spoke with Gary while he was finishing off his work at the Cahal Israel Cemetery in Dollar de Zormo. Here's our interview. So, Gary, how did you get started on this mission that you've been doing? Uh, well, somehow I got involved with the Jewish Genealogical Society of Montreal, and uh, their vice president, Merle Kastner, was working on photographing uh, Jewish cemeteries around Montreal, pretty much single-handedly, but she did have some volunteers help her, and she took pictures and recorded data and submitted it to uh, to Jober, which is the uh, JewishGen.org online worldwide burial registry, which has over three million now uh, burials uh, all around the world. It's a great resource for genealogical research. Uh, it's where everyone should go first. And so I've been lucky enough to find more areas that uh, Merle didn't get to and uh, helped out and uh, 
took over in some areas where Merle just, I guess she uh, thought it was insurmountable to, to take on a cemetery with 50,000 burials. Okay, but why, when you, why did you first want to do this when you retired and came back home to Canada? Ah, well, I'm a compulsive organizer of information. So I have done this sort of gathering of information, organizing online information in many areas for decades. Uh, so I, I think it's a disease. I have to do it. But you could have taken up, you know, inventory of a store. What motivated you to do this work about graves of Jewish people? Was there anyone in particular, your own family, for example, that where you started? Well, it's very motivating. Uh, to be able to see the gravestones of your own family, my own family, in the Baron de Hirsch Cemetery, which I photographed. Uh, I've got over 100 relatives there. That's a lot. And I didn't know a lot about these people. A lot of them, I, I only had rumors that they existed. And uh, now I know, you know more about them than anyone in the family in some ways, genealogically speaking. When you get to genealogical records, people care a lot. You know, I do uh, volunteer genealogy at a local uh, geriatric center. And, uh, and I was surprised that I'd say, oh, and, and here's your, uh, your grandparents' marriage record. And this person is looking at it and he's in tears because he, he's never seen uh, his great-grandparents' birth names all four sitting there on one sheet. And he's like, okay, can I get a print out of this? Oh, yes, I'll get to it. Can I get it now? You know, like people really cared. So it, it is very different from uh, any sort of uh, information work that I've ever done in that there's so much emotion attached to it. Like, you know, what story is your work telling about Jewish Canada? You know, each person, each family, uh, has uh, stories in several dimensions. And of course, their gravestones are just one dimension. They're useful for uh, figuring out if people are related or how people are related, um, but uh, not necessarily the sort of uh, family stories that you're really interested in. For those, I think more about like the immigration story or uh, family businesses. And so you can see history. What can you see? Like the Spanish flu, you can see war. You can see when the Moroccans came. Well, here's, a, here's an interesting fact. Looking at around 60,000 burials from 1900 to 2020, I knew how old most of those people were when they died. Around 2020, the average age is right around 90 years. So that's amazing to me because I'm in my 60s. <laughs> it's like... My, the end of life is way off in the distance. In 1900, the average age of death was around 30. Now, 30-year-olds were not dying in droves. It was infant mortality that uh, swayed, you know, it was just this huge number of people, uh, you know, very young children uh, who were dying that changed that, uh, that whole distribution of ages. There is really just a blip for the Spanish flu. Uh, it didn't have a huge effect on uh, the number of deaths. Uh, for names, um, you can identify just by the way they look, uh, uh, Sephardic Jewish names. 
like you have Ben Simon or Ben David or Ben lots of things. Um, and those were virtually unheard of 100 years ago, but starting you know, 50, 60 years ago, there's many, many of them. And they have interesting gravestones because, you know, like in uh, Ashkenazi tradition, you uh, name the father, but it would be very common to name the mother on a Sephardic gravestone. Now, it's also more common these days to see uh, the name both parents. What about the, the uh, maybe fanciness or the lavishness of gravestones compared to when, you, you know, this community first started burying? How has that changed over the time you've seen? Well, today in uh, Montreal, I imagine it's the same in Toronto. They use granite. Granite is a really strong stone. A hundred years ago, they used uh, sandstone. Uh, they used uh, various other stones. I'm not a geologist, but they wore out. They were carved much more intricately uh, 100 years ago. Uh, today, uh, they're getting more intricate because they're being carved by uh, machine tooling. Pretty amazing what they're doing now. But they used to be a lot more elaborate. They used to have portraits on stones 100 years ago. I think that peaked around 1930. I even think that some, uh, some stones have been uh, defaced uh, because... Uh, it would be, uh, you know, a, a shanda for a picture to be uh, to appear on a stone. Well, graven images, you're not supposed to have images. Jewish people, I don't know. I mean, other countries they do, but not in Canada. Now, much more common today is a double headstone with two footstones for uh, a married couple. Much more common, say, 50 to 70 years ago to have a single headstone. Um, and the men and women wouldn't necessarily, would often not be in the same row. Uh, so uh, even today, uh, you'll see, a, a, you know, two footstones and it won't go like man, woman, man, woman. It'll go man, woman, woman, man, so that uh, women are not buried next to unfamiliar men. If that happened as an accident, they would bury a metal plate deep into the ground. Yeah, I didn't wow. know that. Uh, here's something that's very unusual. When they do maintenance, such as putting in a new burial, uh, they move footstones out of the way. Uh, the footstones don't always go back to where they should. And so uh, I've identified close to 100 footstones that have been switched sides during maintenance. So that's think- crazy. <laughs> Good thing for you. But Okay, so here's my question. The groundskeepers are supposed to maintain and the cemeteries are supposed to maintain the graves, but you clean these graves with toothbrushes and you wipe off um, bird poop. Aren't the cemeteries supposed to be doing that? If you ask a cemetery, what's their responsibility for this grave? Uh, they will say without hesitation, uh, that's the responsibility of the family. <laughs> now you can have a grave that's a hundred years old that says, you know, this person died alone and they will, that's for the family. So um, they don't want that responsibility. So generally, uh, you know, for for mowing the lawn, that's their responsibility. Uh, For cleaning the stones, not so much, but you know, the rain does a pretty good job as long as, uh, you know, stuff doesn't build up. Uh, the, The worst thing for buildup is flowers. 
when you plant flowers, you have lots of loose earth that gradually moves around the sod, encroaches on a footstone and eventually covers the footstone. You know, I've, I've had to stick a, uh, a little plastic uh, probe into the ground to see if there's a stone down there and go six inches down. I say, oh, there's a stone down there. You start digging down to, uh, to get to this stone to get a picture of it. No, honestly, you should be literally getting charity money thrown in at your feet and people should be literally giving you, I don't know what, the Order of Canada. Seriously, not, not an award not, no. as a volunteer, but you're doing this work. <laughs> that is beyond Chesed Show Emmett. Honestly, it well, really families owe you so much that they don't even know this unsung man goes around and does this. <laughs> they don't even know until maybe they see you in there, but nobody knows you're doing this. It's No, it's... You know, it, it's largely thankless, but I, I know that people would appreciate it if they knew. You know, it's like um, certain people get better service from me than others, besides my own family. But even my own family is like, oh, I don't need to. That's, that sod is not that overgrown. It's not that bad. I don't need to dig it out. But, uh, you know, a Holocaust victim, they're going to have a very nice clean stone. Uh, they are not going to have, um, you know, bird droppings on their stone. You know, I can't allow that. Um, so um, same with veterans. You know, you know, I had a whole story with the, the veterans. I go into the veteran section and all of the veteran stones are covered by mold unbelievable mold like like nowhere else in the cemetery i don't know what's going on um and i start to look into it and i actually nearly started a fundraiser to get money like i need like twenty thousand dollars to clean all these stones uh eventually the cemetery which said you know it's the individual family's responsibility eventually they sent someone in with a power cleaner and he was in there for days in the summer, you know, 30 degrees plus, wearing a black garbage bag <laughs> because it's very wet, cleaning all these stones. Um, and so, and now they look respectable. You know, in, in my head, I, I take on certain responsibilities that, uh, you know, you certainly would for your own family. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily do for, for a stranger. Um, so when I, uh, when I catalog the information about Holocaust survivors, uh, I also catalog all their relations that it says. And if it says like great grandparents, you know, I'm really excited about that because they made it. Tell me about some of the more tragic ones you've come across. At yeah, well, I'm not going to give names. So, uh, okay. So a father and son died in a snowmobile accident. And they both died on the same day, but they were buried three months apart. Uh, so I have a subscription to the local newspaper, going to the newspaper with the name, and it just hits you right in the face. You know, it said there was this accident, 
and the, uh, the son died and was buried two days later, and the father has not been found. And the father was not found until the spring when the snow melted. So uh, that was very unusual. There's a lot of uh, you know, women dying in childbirth. And you'll see, you know, you see a 30-year-old woman dying 100 years ago. You know, you know how she died. Um, but sometimes she'll be buried with the baby who died like two days later. Those are really tragic. I think the first experience I had with a tragedy that had me bawling my eyes out in a cemetery, here I go. So I see a grave and okay, there's a mother and there's two children. They all died on the same day. So I take out my phone, click, click, click. It's a plane crash in Brantford, Ontario, 1971, I think, uh, from Montreal. It's over well. <coughs> Killed everyone on board. Uh, the father and the daughter were not on that plane. Uh, the daughter wrote a book uh, about it. I you know, know who you mean, the Fishmans. Yes. And uh, so the father was uh, destroyed oh. <laughs> um, for the rest of his life. I mean, he never recovered from that, you can imagine. And uh, so now when I see a, a hint of something like that, I, I don't look at it too closely, certainly not in the cemetery. So I think that uh, taking extreme care of uh, various grave sites certainly makes sense in cases like that. So one of the things that is so heartbreaking about what uh, you've done is children who died, hundreds of children who died uh, at several cemeteries. What can you tell us about that? Uh, okay. Uh, every cemetery has uh, baby sections. And uh, they're pretty tough to look at. For, uh, for Baron de Hirsch, they have a very big section with unmarked graves. There's some 100-year-old ledgers that we might be able to figure out who might be buried in a particular area. Uh, but these markers, although they have numbers on them, are just in random order. I think they just pick them all up and put them all down. They're probably not even over a particular burial. Uh, they just don't know. Um, so that's, uh, I think, an opportunity for someone if they wanted to do, you know, a, a big research job. Uh, I think it might be, you know, several hours per burial times 300. That's, that's some pretty tough work. And who are these babies? Were these all killed at the same time, as far as you know? No, no, no. They, they're just... Babies who uh, they couldn't afford a, uh, a gravestone. So they just got a marker. Uh, they were buried, I think, in sequence. You know, the next male, the next female would go into this spot or that spot. Um, and uh, so it's just poor records uh, from mostly from like 100 years ago. Oh, okay. And the ones in Dollard, you have so, records for those kids. That is yeah. heartbreaking too. One day old, three days old. It's terribly sad. Uh, for a lot of those, there's just a numerical marker. 
but a lot of them have, you know, like gravestones and, you know, the gravestones for kids, they get very, uh, very moving because they put toys on it and, uh, you know, it's what might have been. Wow. I think yesterday, maybe it was today, there was a funeral for an eight-year-old who died in ca- of cancer in Montreal. You know, very tough. I saw that in papermints because I, too, look every day, twice a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got to write a book. Seriously, honestly, you have to write a book about what you're it's it's a it's a movie. It really is. Well, you know, there's there's lots of fun facts. I think my favorite fun facts are the epitaphs that people put on their stones. Would you like some? OK, uh, here, here's a dark one. Here's the only dark one I'll read uh, in some new region, unscarred and whole. Wow. Okay. Then the fun ones. Don't forget the Bubba. The dancing queen, vamos bada. That's, let's go dancing. Uh, Resting in peace, no conversations, please. Who knew Jewish people have a sense of humor about death? It's funny. I love it. And this one, I have not changed the name. It really says this. It says, a feigned silver is never far from food. What are Love some it. of the challenges you have to face when you're finding gravestones? Well, I'm going through the cemetery stone by stone. And I go what, down one row, up the other row, so that I don't miss anything. And so you'd be surprised at how many burials that I found that aren't in the cemetery records. So in Baron de Hirsch, I found 75. One is a no-hell. That's like, you know, a building that's built over a revered rabbi. So that, that grave is like 10 by 10 feet, 10 feet tall, and it's not in their record. So it's, it's amazing to me. Well, it was amazing to me to find them, but it's not amazing to me that they're there. Uh, it's really hard to keep track of things. And there are some stones that have just moved around to other sections of the cemetery. Who moves a stone by mistake? I think maintenance, you know, like, or a stone falls over and it gets picked up, it gets moved over someplace. Uh, so I found, you know, I found a stone in very good shape sitting on another stone. And I said, uh, this person's not in your records. I said, this is the cemetery. They said, no, it's this person. It's in this section. I said, no, that's a different one. Here are the two stones. And they're different people. And they say, ah, they don't say anything because, you know, they don't have time to go through and do this many corrections. But it's so so important because it's the last record for people to find people. And if this doesn't, if your work isn't done, what what will history say when people are looking this up in the future? There There are breadcrumbs. So every correction that I make, uh, every change that I make, I keep track of. So right now I'm at, uh, for Kahal Israel, I'm not even halfway through, and I've made 37,622 changes. <laughs> it's, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy business. You know, I think people would be shocked to know this because, you know, when someone dies, you expect that it's done properly, correctly. You're agonized over every letter, 
family agonizes over the obituaries. They agonize over the, the stone, the cemetery, everything. And then to find out that, you know, it's all wrong. This must be old stuff though, right? It's, uh, oh no, even new stuff. We're going to wrap it up. I just want okay. to ask you about some of the unusual or touching things you have seen people leave at graves. It'd be easier to send you a list of those. But uh, yes, there's one that had electrical wiring with beer cans, and I couldn't figure that out. One is covered by um, maybe 50 plastic ducks. Some people leave a bush, and you wouldn't think that's that unusual. But you see what happens to some of these bushes is they turn into trees. So there's some graves that have 20-foot-tall bushes next to them, actually in front of them. You can't see anything except for the bush. Uh, sports things are very big. Uh, I just saw a stone first time I saw this, I think. It was the Montreal Expos uh, emblem that's etched on the stone. There's also a baseball on the gravestone. Lots of hockey pucks on, uh, on gravestones. Lots of golf balls. Uh, a few sports jackets. One squash racket. The, and the cemetery lets the stuff stay there? Yeah. You know, the cemetery is concerned about flowers. <laughs> well, I want to thank you on behalf of Canada for what you've been doing and keep going because uh, it's important work what you do. So thank you so much for being on the CJN Daily. I, I enjoy your podcast. Thanks for having me. You can find out more about your Jewish ancestors if they were buried anywhere in the world. And the link to the Jewish Gen online worldwide burial registry is in our show notes, as is the work specifically done by Gary Perlman's project with the Jewish Genealogical Society in Montreal. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Ruth Albin Rudner of Toronto. She wrote in about my story on Seamus collections of old holy Jewish objects, saying there's an appeal for old Tully Tot to bury men in. Ruth, if you're listening, get in touch so we can learn more. And due to the two days of Yom Tov and Yisker, the CJN Daily will be off again for the rest of the week. We'll be back on Monday, April the 17th. Mm-hmm.